Hi guys, Russell here. I'm just going to do a follow-up to the sort of uh, post that I did yesterday um, about the BOJ being the key to ever having a bear market again. Um, uh, a lot of that was based on a lot of work I've done a long time ago and was actually the core of, uh, you know, the main reason I ran net short for a, such a long time in my career. Um, uh, and, you know, and so I just thought, you know, I'll give you some background to why I think that and then, you know, what evidence there is there is to sort of prove that. Now, you got to remember, Japan's always been, uh, in the modern era, considered an unusual company, an unusual country. So Simon Kuznets, Nobel, Nobel Laureate, said there are four types of countries in the world, developed, undeveloped, Japan and Argentina. Um, and what does he, you know, and what do you mean by that? So before Japan came along, countries that ran low interest rates with large fiscal deficits almost always saw their currency collapse and inflation take hold. Um, and that eventually the bond markets would buckle. And so, you know, that was the, the sort of received wisdom. And so through the 90s and 2000s, uh, a lot of funds used to short JGBs, and that became the original widow-maker trade. And a lot of Nobel laureates and other people lost a lot of money on shorting JGBs. So, you know, look, I try to spend a lot of time of understanding why you had these these features that didn't make sense, uh, you know, the, of the Japanese market, you know, and it seemed important to me. And so I developed a sort of more holistic model of it. And the basic idea is that jazz, Japan is like the Saudi Arabia of savings. So it controls the sort of level of, of capital flows into the world and how much that capital costs through, its, through what its own actions are, and it's almost regardless of what other people do. It sort of implies that the Fed is not that important. Yeah, directly anyway. Now, the thing about this sort of capital flow model uh, and, uh, you know, and when you talk to big allocators and uh, people who've been in markets for a long time, it anecdotally feels right. Whenever there's a big financial crisis where heavy credit losses need to be distributed, uh, Japanese institutions tend to be knee deep in this sort of stuff. Um, uh, but that is not really rigorous analysis, you know, you know, it's like, it, but is that, does that mean the Japanese are the cause of this? Um, so I started looking around for, you know, big macro data points that could either prove or disprove this theory. So one of the first theories we looked at, or I looked at, was uh, net international investment position. This is a data point that's become more popular over the last couple of decades. And what it does is it tries to work out what your asset values, assets are versus your liabilities. Um, and so... One of the things that I presented the big four countries down here, the USA, Eurozone, Japan, China. Uh, and what I would say is, first of all, Japan is always positive. It's always been the biggest one. Japan, always been the biggest net positive net international investment position. Um, and typically when a country goes negative, as Eurozone was doing in 2011, that's a big warning sign of problems. And of course, Eurozone's had problems since 2011. Now, the USA is sort of disproving that theory because it's blown through... Uh, the highest net international, most negative net international position, international investment position number we've ever seen and continued to prosper without any crisis, uh, particularly since 1617. Um, now, there are some issues with this. So we try and fix this up a bit. The first issue is that uh, net international, international investment position data picks up both private sector and public sector holdings. By what I mean by public sector holdings, if Japan owns a US treasury, That'll be seen as a, in its foreign reserves, that's seen as an asset to Japan, a liability to the US. All right. Whereas, because it's a foreign reserve and there's a public 
domain type product, I don't think it's really that important for what we're trying to do. So what I do is I strip out all the treasury holdings, both from the US number and from Japan and China. Eurozone doesn't really hold Euro, uh, treasuries as foreign reserves. Uh, but anyway, we'll ignore them. And then you get a more interesting data point. What you can see then is the US was positive in 2011, which in this sort of analysis means is good, good to buy. It's a safe, safe, safe currency, safe asset to buy. Um, and then became you know, relatively negative around 16, 17, uh, and now is blown out to massively negative. Uh, while China got to sort of very negative numbers in 15 and has largely corrected that, uh, which sort of implies that you could almost buy Chinese, Chinese assets safely now. So in the old, you know, the old analysis of international investment positions would say buy China and sell US would be what this would be saying. Now, there is a big caveat to that. I'm not going to cover, cover that in this post, but I will in the future. Um, now, the thing is, the globally, when we add net international investment position data up to together of all countries, it should add to zero because asset liability matching. It doesn't. I think the big outlier is the US, and I think that outlier is caused by the tax uh, avoidance schemes run by large US pharmaceutical and tech corporations. I've written this about on my website. Have a look if you want, um, but you know, mainly through Ireland, but that is, I think, where a lot of that missing in international investment position data is. Um, now, the thing about the net, net international investment position is that it is a big macro data. It's capturing market value of assets, property, uh, foreign investment flows, exchange rates, a whole bunch of things. So if you are a you know, true blue diehard believer in America, you could say that this just reflects how awesome America is and how awesome American corporates are. And I can't really argue with you. In fact, uh, I would have to tend to agree with you that I've never seen a country where corporates have so much sway over public policy than the US. Uh, it's almost incredible how every sort of US government policy is tweaked to make sure corporate profitability rises even further. It's quite, it's quite staggering. So from that perspective, you could say the US net international investment position is justified. All right, but it's just all I want to do is set the sort of you know, seeing that Japan has been a lender. Um, so where else could we look at to try and get an idea of, you know, this Japan as a lender of last resort or a Saudi of savings? So we go to the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, and they have a lot of data there. And one of my favorite data points is like locational data. So what they do is try and track who is lending to the rest of the world uh, and, you know, where are you borrowing from? Um, and with the non-claim data, what we get when we look at the non-banks net claims, those claims, those liabilities, globally, there's like a, you know, sort of a, a net number there of uh, nearly five and a half trillion, all right? Uh, now, of Japan is half of that. And actually, the rest, every everyone else, their net number it doesn't even turn up, basically. It's tiny. Japan dominates non-bank lending. That'll be insurance, that'll be corporate lending, a whole bunch of other things. Uh, and very typically, when... Japan invests a factory or something else overseas, it will do it via uh, lending money to that overseas subsidiary who then repays it back. And that would also turn up in this sort of data point. What I'm trying to say is Japan you know, is, is by far the biggest lender at the moment. 
Now we can do is we can then just take out the Japanese locational data and see how it's changed over time. Now what you can see is liabilities in Japan never really go up, which makes sense to me. Why would any foreigner want to lend into Japan when they've got such low interest rates? Obvious, just an obvious question. Uh, but the Japanese would be more than happy to lend overseas. And what you can see is how much claims really accelerated once the uh, bubble economy burst in sort of mid, early mid-90s. Now, what my argument here is when the BOJ taps on the brakes, not steps, because they've never really raised interest rates more than a percent, so just tap, um, all hell breaks loose. So if you look at very short rates, and I reproduced the chart from the previous post, uh, they've risen them, they've let short rates rise occasionally. 96, uh, we then had the Asian financial crisis. Um, we then saw a small increase in rates in 2000. And that was a dot-com bust. They tried, they really tried hard in 2006. They nearly got to 1% on short rates in Japan. Amazing. Uh, and then we had the GFC, which absolutely destroyed uh, the global economy. And I think then the, the geniuses at the Bank of Japan went, gee whiz, we have really screwed over the rest of the world. They totally need our money all the time. I know, we'll just never raise rates. And, you know, it's been 100% correct. It's been great for stock market, great for asset owners. The only problem, of course, which we are now all aware of, is it's completely screwed over workers who are now voting for populists. And what we can see in Japan is the BOJ policy has turned uh, what was once the world's wealthiest people, you know, the biggest travelers in the world, uh, into now a tourist destination where most Japanese have to cater to Korean and Chinese and other tourists whose governments have actually done a decent job in raising wages. Uh, so in that way, the Bank of Japan, as well as Japanese government, has been a total failure. The real mystery often, I think, in Japan is why the uh, political opposition is just so useless that they just can't get their act together. That is probably the real mystery. For investors in, I think, U.S. equities and almost in the, in the markets anywhere, they should be grateful that the Japanese political opposition is so totally useless uh, because the real losers in this system uh, are the Japanese people and the Japanese workers who haven't seen a pay increase now for 30 years. Um, now, what I'm going to try and do is get an idea of how close the BOJ are to uh, tapping on the brakes again. And then I'm also going to try and think about what that means in a pro-labor world, which I think we're in now. Um, I hope that made sense. Uh, uh, if you like it, become a scriber uh, and take care. We'll talk again soon. Ciao.